It's the Dockiverse Podcast, episode number 13, Doc Tempest and the Curse of Medusa. In this episode, we have the first in a new series from my dog, Sasha, a short game review, the regular free plug, the Doclopedia, and more commentary. Now let's get started. Hi there, folks. Welcome back to the podcast. I am, of course, your host, Doc Cross, and I hope you all had a great weekend. I had a pretty darn good weekend, actually. Um, Didn't do a whole lot on Sunday other than chores, but on Saturday, I finally got to play face-to-face in role-playing with my D&D and pizza group. Now, I wasn't running it. My friend Kathy is running a Firefly game for the next few months, but still... We finally managed, after two cancellations, it's been like six weeks since we last played online, we finally got to sit down, eat some pizza, play some Firefly, and have a great time. So that was excellent. First time in 15 months we've done that. Now, of course, the big thing is to see what my other group, where I normally play in, if we're going to get back together. We've had a lot of upheavals with people's personal lives and things like that, jobs and things over the past like three months, and hopefully we'll be playing in July, so we'll find out about that. I'm also looking forward to Black Widow finally coming out in another, what, about a week and a half, two weeks. I've been really jonesing for some Marvel movies, and this is going to be the first one of, I think, four this year. So that's going to be good. And now, before we get started with anything else, I want to thank my wonderful patrons over on Patreon for helping you support this podcast. Thank you, David. Thank you, Avis. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, James. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, Mark. You guys are the cream of the crop. Now, we go on to short game review, because it is Monday, and that's what we do on Mondays. And this review is Castle Falkenstein, which is absolutely a great role-playing game to play. If you don't know about it, it came out quite a number of years ago. I'm not going to give you guys all the technical stuff, like how many pages and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not even going to talk about the rules, really, because you can look all that up. I'm going to tell you what I think of the game. In a nutshell, it's steampunk meets fantasy. And they do it great. You have a world where it's an alternate world, New Europa, where not only do fictional characters like Sherlock Holmes and Jules Verne, various characters, and, and, and the guys from Wild Wild West and all this, not only do they exist, but in some cases, the authors of the stories exist. So you may have Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson in a restaurant, and across the way, sitting at a table, is Arthur Conan Doyle. Or you may have Jules Verne doing his thing in Paris. So that's great from that aspect because that's kind of like a little bit whack. But then you also have elves, dragons, dwarves, all of this stuff. The she, both the good ones and the bad ones, all interacting, all set in the Victorian era. A lot of historical people in here, especially uh, Prince Albert. And Mike Pondsmith has reached out into every bit of Victoriana and, and steampunk and whatever the hell else he can find and put it all together, and it's great. You have uh, supplement books for it. I particularly like the one Six Guns and Sorcery, which covers the United States. There's even a book that tells you how to play a Victorian character. Now, the greatest thing, the thing that caught my eye when I first saw this book is that all of the background stuff all of the world building, all of the characters, everything is in the front part of the book with no rules. 
No rules to get in the way. It's not like reading a D&D book or any number of other RPGs. All it is is a big old story that Mike Pondsmith, who wrote it, has his character, Tom Olam, telling us. And there are little sidebars that clarify things and all that. Then you get to the rear part of the book, and if you look at the pages with the book closed, you can see where the story part ends and the rules begin because different colors, different type of, of paper. All the rules are back there. The rules do not use dice, although there are, you know, rules for you using dice. You normally use playing cards. There uh, have been new supplements for it that have come out in the past couple, three years. So that's a good thing. If you like GURPS, there is, in fact, a GURPS, Castle Falkenstein, and a GURPS book that covers the Ottoman Empire, which was never covered, I don't think, in the original Castle Falkenstein. So that's cool. And I own all of it. Castle Falkenstein, great game. It's out there. It's available. Uh, you can probably get it on PDF. In fact, I'm certain you can get it on PDF, like drive through RPG. So you should really, really give it a look, even if it's just to read it. And by the way, they did come out with at least two Castle Falkenstein novels. I know I have them. I don't remember what the titles of them are right off the top of my head, but they do have them. And they're both quite good. That's the review, Castle Falkenstein. Check it out. And now... We're going to move on to a new series I'm doing. And I think this series is going to probably cover about two weeks. So, without further ado, let's start Sasha's rant. If there's one thing people ask me all the time, besides how can you look so young and beautiful, it's which animals are smart and why aren't all animals smart? So here's the breakdown, folks. And we'll start with the number one most asked about species, the chimpanzee. There are, in fact, about 120 smart female chimpanzees in the world. All of them live in Gorilla City in Africa. They're all teachers or engineers or scientists, nurses, chefs. They're all sterile, mostly due to birth defects or some other natural cause. They're very good people, and they very likely will not be replaced by other chimps when they die. You see, chimps are just too much like humans to allow them to become sapient. The males especially are vicious, cunning, violent assholes. So are a good share of the females. Does that sound familiar, human? If chimps were sapient... They would band together and start killing humans, probably with human weapons. They'd also probably come after us other NHT, which would be the end of the chimp species, or nearly so, because we have weapons even you humans don't have. To prevent this ever happening, every single chimp on Earth, except the gals in Gorilla City, have been dosed with nanites that shield their brains from the rest of us NHT, because when sapient NHT hang around with non-sapient NHT, we tend to smarten them up, and pretty soon they're sapient. So, no on the smart chimps. And by the way, yes, the nanites do pass from parents to babies in the womb, so they're always going to be shielded, no matter what. However, I must note that since I originally wrote that, bonobos, sometimes called the pygmy chimpanzees, are now fully sapient and integrated into NHT society. Because unlike regular chimps, they are sweet-tempered, peaceful, and laid-back. Sort of the free-love hippies of the NHT world. They spend a whole lot of their time fucking. In fact, that's how they solve problems, with sex. Which, when you think about it, all of us could learn from. Next up come farm animals like cattle, sheep, goats, and pigs. Like chimps, there are some of those who have become sapient. Mostly pigs, because pigs are smart right from the get-go, even without being sapient. But the majority are kept dumb. The reason is obvious. In the human world, and yes, in the carnivorous parts of the NHT world, they're going to be eaten or kept for some other purpose. Freedom and a long life is not in the cards for most of them. So, making them aware would be monstrous cruelty. Now, horses, mules, and donkeys, for some reason we have not figured out yet, are very resistant to sapience. All of them can become sapient, but the vast majority decline the offer. 
and the ones who do become sapient immediately ask to go live in an NHT sanctuary zone, which means that they're not around other NHT or humans anyway. But we let them do it, the few that do. Without fail, though, all sapient domestic horses and asses are very nice folks. Once again now, I have to change what I wrote all those years ago. Because in late 2020, out of the blue, the whole equine community decided that being sapient was okay. Not all of them, but a very large number chose to. They gave no reason for their change of heart, and we didn't press the issue. Now we go on to small mammals. And small mammals do not deal with becoming smart very well. They tend to freak out and eventually go catatonic. That's understandable, given their very short lifespans and their place on so many creatures' menus. With the exception of domesticated rabbits, and even then mostly the ones who escape to live in the great sanctuary warrens, most of the smaller sapiens are creatures like skunks, possums, otters, wallabies, raccoons, etc. I would say that sapient rabbits pretty much run things financially for the NHT world. They are very good at it, and in fact, I employ a whole bunch of them in my companies. Well, I did. I don't run those companies anymore. I sold them off. But yeah, rabbits, bankers, tax attorneys, all sorts of things. Another note I should add here is that now capybaras and wombats are well on the road to full sapiens. They're kind of a little different as far as their attitudes go, but they're nice folks, and especially the capybaras are very family-oriented. The NHTA is very careful about making monkeys smart. They almost always turn out to be troublemakers with a chip on their shoulder. There are some smart baboons and larger monkey species, but again, they are in sanctuaries where they can be monitored. There are no sapient wolverines, badgers, honey badgers, or Tasmanian devils, because that would just be fucking insane. It was tried in the 1990s, and it did not go well. Oops, I misspoke again, folks, because European badgers, especially those in the UK, have been sapient since the 1970s. Also, in 2019, honey badgers, who, by the way, have problem-solving skills probably equal to pigs, maybe better, they began the process of becoming sapient. Now, this is going to take a while because they tend to be solitary and have a kind of a bad attitude, but they're doing pretty well. On the other hand, don't hold your breath waiting for wolverines, North American badgers, or Tasmanian devils. Not going to happen. You may have noticed that so far I have only mentioned mammalian species. That's because almost everything else just can't become sapient, despite decades of trying. There are exceptions, however. One is parrots. The larger macaws, cockatoos, and Amazon parrots, along with the African gray, can become sapient. They tend to gravitate towards jobs in security, espionage, which we do too and much better than you humans, aerial mapping, and show business. Then you have ravens and crows. Now, the corvids, especially those two species, attain sapience by becoming part of a hive mind. You take a single crow far away from any other crows or ravens, and he will still be sapient and pretty darn smart, but not extremely intelligent. On the other hand, a flock of 20 crows creates 20 damn smart birds. And then there are ducks. These folks are a class A enigma. They should not be able to become sapient, but they do. Now, none of them's ever going to be a rocket scientist, but they have a decent average intelligence. They're usually very mild-tempered, despite what you see with Donald Duck, and they often work in surveillance of humans or in show business. Then we come to raptors. Now, only the very largest birds of prey can become sapient, and even then, only about one in a thousand. They are not exceptionally smart, and yes, that includes owls. Like ducks, they often work in surveillance, especially aerial surveillance. After birds, almost nothing else can become sapient, with three exceptions. Giant tortoises. Almost all of the giant tortoises of all species, 
and this includes sea turtles, are sapient, but they're not geniuses. They are incredibly thoughtful and very slow in conversation. It's almost as bad as talking to an ant. Still, if you hang in there, they can often be fountains of historical knowledge. Then we come to octopuses. Now, octopuses can become sapient, but they don't seem to want to, which is probably good because the one or two who have become sapient were weird motherfuckers. Not evil or even bad, just very weird. And then there's domestic honeybees. Do not ask me how they become sapient because NHT scientists have been trying to figure this out for decades and we're not any closer to it now than we were 40 years ago. For that matter, the bees don't know how they do it. That all said, bees are some of the nicest folks you'll ever meet and they have a great sense of humor. So there's your answer to all those questions, folks, about who's smart and who isn't. Oh, wait, one other thing. Cetaceans, whales, dolphins, have always been sapient. Cetaceans are swell people, but to us land-based life forms, they might as well be aliens. I probably need to do a rant on them sometime. Until my next rant, I'm Sasha Jane Cross, PhD, MD. Okay, folks, time for our free plug, and our free plug today is pigs and pork. Now, besides pigs being smart and actually very clean and, and very friendly animals when you raise them up from babies, the real big deal about pork is you can eat damn near the whole thing. Pork is wonderful. The greatest thing a pig can ever do for a human is to become pork chops, bacon, ham, fatback, whatever. I love pork. I love pigs. I had a pet pig once. But, you know, I grew up on a farm. I know where our food comes from. Pigs, I salute you. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for giving up your lives to be delicious sausages and whatnot. And, yeah, that's our free plug. Pigs. And now, the Doclopedia. And we're doing the alphabet. And we are on G and H. G is for Galactic Brain. Galactic Brain was a hugely popular half-hour Japanese animated series that debuted in 2013 and ran for eight years. Then it was seen in 104 other countries, with sometimes dubbing and sometimes not. Describing it is difficult because it was very surreal-looking, had content that often made no sense, or only made sense months later when another bit was shown. They kept switching languages, sometimes using as many as four different languages in a single episode, and during those few minutes per episode when it actually told a story chapter, they told them out of sequence over a period of eight years. A few times, entire episodes were run backwards. For all of its mind-warping strangeness, Galactic Brain still managed to inject a dozen catchphrases into popular culture. A few of them are listed here. It's a hamsicle. Yomo will pee on it. Explode your own head, dummy. Fubu, fubu. Can I have your bowl of chili? I've got a nickel. Which pocket is my mouse in? It's time for the bad boy boogie. One final note. Despite a truly exhausting search of all 203 episodes by the most rabid of fans, no mention of the phrase galactic brain has ever been found. G is for golden robots. In 1923, on Earth 9H, the eastern European country of Grubensky unleashed an army of golden robots on its two neighboring countries, Oxomistan and Anthelia. Within days, they were conquered and the robotic army was headed west. By the time the major European governments heard anything about this, three other countries had fallen and the robots were heading for Germany. War was declared, and the remaining European nations mounted a massive attack on the advancing robots. Despite the Allies having a huge advantage in manpower, the Golden Robots were winning. 
They seemed totally indestructible, and the heat beams they could fire from their eyes could melt thick steel plates in seconds. All seemed lost until a team of commandos made their way into Porgo, the capital of Grubansky. Once there, they met up with a young scientist named Hargo Bovinki. He told them how the evil Professor Yevki had built the first golden robot in his lab, then demonstrated it to the country's mad dictator Orlos Badlodonko. Soon after, a factory was built, and dozens of robots rolled off the line every day, all of them controlled by radio signals from the dictator's palace. Using old maps of the nearly 500-year-old building, the commandos were able to sneak into the building and take control of the robots, causing them to self-destruct. They also managed to capture the evil dictator and the mad scientist, who were both publicly executed a couple of days later. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, the diagrams and equipment for building the golden robots were destroyed when Professor Yevki set the factory on fire just before it was captured. H is for HMS Apollo. Commissioned in 1883, the HMS Apollo was the very first armored airship in the British Aero Fleet. It measured 150 meters from bow to stern and 35 meters from port to starboard. It had three decks and a crew of 300 men. It was armed with 12 cannons, bomb bays fore and aft, and a bow-mounted lightning cannon. The Apollo fought in the War of the Worlds and the First World War, both times with great distinction. It was decommissioned in 1928 after 35 years of service. It is now on display at the Royal Air and Space Museum. H is for hamsters. On Earth 91b, humans are extinct and hamsters rule the world via a hive mind. They use other animals to do things they cannot do. They provide well for these and all animals while living in huge hive-like structures. It is unknown what the inside of these structures look like or if the hamsters have any technology beyond simple tools. All attempts by humans from other dimensions to explore the planet have failed. Each time, the human explorers come back to their homeworld encased in a hollow plastic sphere. All right, folks, now we get on to the commentary. And this is maybe going to be a little bit of uh, whining and complaining, but hopefully not. The topic is, I miss game conventions. The last game convention I went to was in February of 2020, right about when the lockdown was going down, and that was Dundracon. The last one I was in before that was in summer of 2019, which was Gen Con. And someday I'll do a thing about that because it was a strange trip. Anyway, Dundercon was great, but then there were no cons in 2020. Come this February 2021, there was still no Dundercon or any other cons yet. And I really, really miss game conventions. I miss seeing the people I only see once a year or a couple times a year. I miss buying dice, I miss playing games, I miss running games. I mean, by missing 2021 Dundracon, that was the first time in, I think, 34 years that I didn't run a tune game on Friday night or Saturday night. I, I miss getting together with my tribe. I miss everything about conventions. I miss the drive down there. And this year, Dundracon was supposed to be in a new hotel in Santa Clara, so the drive would have been a little bit longer, but a nicer hotel with more room. And I can't wait to get back to conventions. Now, I'm not going to rush out to any that happen in the next couple of months because, well, I'm still a little paranoid about all these maskless idiots running around and the Delta variant and all these other things. But yeah, I will be at Dundercon next February, come hell or high water, unless there's another plague to stop everything. And I hope all of you get to go to conventions too. So that's this commentary. Have another one next episode. Okay, folks, we are at the end of things. I am running way over 20 minutes, but hopefully with editing, I can carve a couple of minutes off of this. I want to thank you for listening. And if you have any suggestions, comments, or questions, I can be reached on Facebook, where I'm Doc Cross, on WordPress at the Docverse blog, 
via email at agentroscoe at gmail.com. And if you're listening via Anchor, you can leave a voicemail. If you'd like to support me via Patreon and hear these podcasts a couple of weeks before they go up on Anchor, go to www.patreon.com forward slash cross. And if you'd like to sponsor this podcast or advertise on it or just give me a fistful of money, get in touch with me by any of the methods I mentioned above. Our music for this episode was Twisting Kangaroos by Loco Lobos, and it came off the Free Music Archive. Yes, young one, yes, you have made it to the temple, and here is the great secret of life. This podcast and everything on it, except the music, is copyright 2021 by Doc Cross. And now I shall fade away, and you can take my place in a seat of wisdom. Or not.